What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball? Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello, and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z. Joining us, as always, is Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus McBasketball. Today, we're not streaming on Twitch. This is a, please feel free to go back and check out. We called the last Clippers-Lakers game where THT and Kuzma went off, and that was a lot of fun. But yeah, today we're here to talk a little bit more about that, some individual performances uh, and scheme. So Tim, again, after a couple days of uh, digging into this film, how you feeling uh, after seeing this uh, 2020 Lakers? I'm feeling pretty good. This this team's in really good shape. The bench pieces that we have look really strong. Frank Vogel has a really good problem in that THC is really pushing for time probably in the rotation. And of course we probably saw him at his peak in that last game. I don't think he'll be consistently doing that sort of, uh, that sort of thing moving forward, but if he can, that's a just an incredible development, but regardless, he's going to be pushing to get some time in the rotation that I know I wasn't anticipating, uh, as serious of a, of considering, but after that performance to see. So yeah, if anyone was wondering where we were during that last game, we were in, that Twitch stream calling the game. And instead of us tweeting our reactions out, we were like yelling and <laughs> yeah. calling the game in disbelief of, of what we saw at times. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. That's, that's a good way of describing it. Disbelief. Uh, you know, we, we like THT, but man, this guy went off in a way that uh, truly made you think that, man, maybe you should start him or, you know, try and find minutes for him somewhere in the rotation. But uh, so so why don't we just dive right in to THT, because that has been the talk of the town the last few days. Um, One of the things that stands out to me the most, Tim, is his poise and patience in the pick and roll, snaking around, buying himself time, dragging the big away to open up a lane. Uh, and then there's, you know, another play, uh, similar, you know, setup what I just said. And then he spins to go, you know, create a shot going to his left at the basket. And then he kicks it to Kuzma in the left corner for a wide open three. And just the, the presence of mind, he's playing like a, a vet out there in some of these pick and roll reads. And he's playing like a second year player and some of them too, but just some of the advanced, you know, plays that he's making is just so, so promising to see because that's not all physical stuff. It's a lot of it's mental too. Yeah, I'd agree. We, after the first preseason game, we're talking about how his setup 
was really good, and then he'd get to those prime scoring chances, and then he just wasn't finishing all that well. But in that second game, we saw him put it all together. Like you were talking about, a lot of pick and roll, a lot of primary ball handler type offense to get him to scoring. But then also off ball, he was good scoring off of screens, cutting, spotting up. I think playing with Marcus Gasol helped him in those ways in in a way that he didn't quite get in that first game with Gasol sitting and LeBron sitting and AD sitting. So I, I just really impressive performance from him. Again, it's, it might not be the most sustainable. We may not see that guy every single day, but if he can be somewhere in between game one and game two, in just in terms of his finishing ability, he seems to be able to consistently at least get two spots through his technique and footwork. There's just a lot of, a lot of advanced skills for a guy that is younger. He's not raw. He, he's certainly not just like some athletic guy that needs to learn how to play basketball. He knows how to play basketball really, really well. And he's just been, putting his body in the right shape, and now he needs to be just continue working on those fin- that finishing at the rim and that jump shot. But for a guy that plays the style he does, getting to the rim continuously, drawing a ton of fouls is going to help bolster his offense as he's able to work through some of the kinks and, and develop into a more uh, consistent player. So I guess to me, the question I want to ask you, Tim, we kind of went over this you know, in, in our stream, was... How did the how does Vogel find minutes for him? And the way I'm thinking is what I'm starting to learn about THT, at least from some of the stuff I saw in in the G League, and he was ramping up his success. We talked a little bit about that with Alex Regla too. He's ramping up his field goal percentage, his usage. He got a lot more opportunities and got better with them as time went on. But overall, I think he's probably a really streaky player at this point. So if you can find ways to get him a four minute shift in regular seasons games, and if he's got that spark, you know, you can up his minutes from any given game from 12 to 15 to, you know, 20 to 25, uh, depending on who's available and how good he's been. That's something that I could see, you know, maybe it starts with like an eight to 10 minute rotation. And if he starts to really cook, start to cook out there, Vogel leaves him out there, but how do we find minutes for this guy? Tim? It's going to be difficult. There, there won't be uh, Quinn Cook or Troy Daniels who are getting time that you can just pull from. If you're giving THT even just 12 minutes a game, are you able to give Schroeder 30 a game? Maybe not. Is KCP going to play 24, 27, 30 minutes? He would be impacted by this. Wes Matthews, do you want to give him 20 minutes? Is he going to get 15 minutes? Another vet, good, strong player, getting older but not to a point where he's really been diminishing. So I don't know. There, there's a lot you have to sort through. Do we, does Alex Crusoe suddenly become uh, marginalized again and not getting the time that he deserves? There are just You're cutting time from a good player to fit THT into the rotation. And how you go about that is, I don't know, it was difficult. I was playing around in the rotations tool, didn't find a lot of great solutions I felt fantastic about. He is another guy that if he's getting more time, Kuzma might be getting less time. So depending on how Kuz either buys into the role like we saw him in game two versus him trying to force things like we saw at times in game one that could impact this but THT looks like a guy that maybe he'll get nine minutes a game when everybody's playing but then when guys are out or sitting resting he might suddenly get 25 30 in in games here or there so it might have to be a Spurs type situation where they would be resting guys here and then here and there keeping THT engaged you know go kick button practice, and then you're going to have opportunities not just to play four or eight minutes, but you're going to go get 30 minutes at a time where you can make mistakes and still 
be able to continue playing, get in the rhythm, get a groove on. Now, one thing that I started to think about a little bit more since the second game was that maybe we're going to see more players than just LeBron and AD sit this year, Tim. So in games where LeBron and AD are both active, maybe we see KCP or another guy who's got a bumps and bruises or had a significant role in the, the long title run, you know, just a couple months ago. Maybe we see KCP start to sit a couple games here and there. Again, he is the one who I keep thinking of because he has that three-year contract finally. And he's been a Laker now for, this will be his fourth year, I think, right? So it's, if anybody's, you can go to them and say like, dude, look, you're still probably our, you know, our, our like second most important kind of guard in the playoffs for what you can bring to us, you know, uh, right behind Caruso. We still want to use you, but we want to give you a break and give this kid a chance to find a role in the regular season. You know your role, KCP. You're a star in your role. So maybe that's something that they can start to sit guys and rest guys. And Alex Caruso is known for having bumps and bruises. So let's pull him out of game and, and stick THT in the backup point role. Is that something you think is a possibility? Yeah, I think he's he will certainly be the next guy up if there are any injuries or if guys need to rest who are either guards or wings. And I think with sure. the length that THT has and how he can play off ball or on ball gives you some flexibility where it can be Schroeder out or it can be Kuzma out or Wes Matthews out. He can be that guy who replaces them in the rotation. And we have enough versatile players, vers- just versatile, just enough that you can slide him in one through three and it can work out. KCP is a guy that makes sense. Wes Matthews is another guy that makes sense. He's 34. KCP's like 27. Mm-hmm. So I can see either of them, Matthews due to age or KCP just because, you know, you're going to get some time off. Uh, your role is solidified. You're really valuable to us, but we want to keep you fresh. I think the, the way you frame it can be really important. Uh, right. Either one of those, THT would be a really good fit for. Offensively, fits into the slot. Defensively, as a chaser, which I think is THT's best role, those are the other two guys on the roster that will probably be playing that role other than Caruso could do that as well. So as a defensive fill-in, I think it makes plenty of sense. It's a really easy fit. You don't want him to be your point of attack defender. He, You don't ideally want him to be a wing stopper, but in that chaser role, THT fits really well. It matches his skill set. Uh, and and those are the two guys that will probably be asked to do that. And Wes Matthews is a guy we've spoken about, maybe not the best skill set to perform in that role so if he's struggling with it THT might be able to lighten that load and then you try to slot what Matthews into a different defensive role so I think that's how I see that playing out uh offensively there's a lot more that defenses can do to slow THT down just in like ball screens uh just you know going under <laughs> would make a big difference uh the Clippers are going over everything and at for a guy who's pull up three and maybe the pull up mid-range two game aren't his strongest points that's a really quick fix or at least quick way to make him have to adjust and play a little bit differently so I expect to see more of that as we get into games that matter and defenses have a little bit more time to or more incentive to try to win and and play the right way and, and scheme against guys and in the playoffs that'll come out one concern I have with THT or question that we have yet to figure out is how does he play in a lineup where he's not the primary ball handler We've seen him work well with Gasol as a cutter in that style of offense that's a bunch of cutting and screening. But if you have LeBron, AD, Harrell, 
I don't know, KCP and THT or Wes Matthews and THT or Caruso and THT, how does a guy, how does he fit into that? What does his job become? Does he just become a stationary shooter or is he used in other ways? Is he still used in ball screens? Because to this point, he's had 15 pick and roll ball handler scoring possessions. He's had eight isolations, four spot ups, two off screen possessions, two cuts, one post up, one put back and one miscellaneous possession. So that's very skewed towards the balls in his hands. He's doing something. So how does that change and how efficient is he? How effective is he in a role where he's less the the point of attention on the offensive side? So I think we'll have to figure that out hopefully over the next two preseason games. That The answer to that question will give us a better sense of what his minute ceiling might be or the types of lineups you can run him in. He might be a guy that more exclusively plays with the bench units, um, just depending on what kind of offensive role he might fill for this team. Because we've seen him succeed in one type, and he's had like pretty much his best game ever. How do, What does that look like consistently? But then also, how does that fit into the rest of the rotations he may need to work within? Right. No, I think that's a great point. We have plenty of other things to get to. We, we could talk about THD probably for an entire episode, Tim. But just really quickly, again, it's interesting to consider the first game he started at the three with Schroeder and Matthews. And then the second game, he effectively started at the one. And it could be that we try and tweak some stuff with KCP and then you know, he fills that wing position when a Matthews and a KCP is out. And then he fills that point position when LeBron's out, you know, off of the second unit, you know, I'm assuming Schroeder's still going to be playing most games uh, in that first unit, even when LeBron rests. So considering THT is a uh, utility, you know, infielder, a guy who can kind of shift over the infield and cover different gaps is probably the best way to, to, try and force minutes into his his role but you know like we said there's not a lot of 11 man rotations in the league so something's got to give eventually um really quickly though i know we want to talk some about the new players um but i want to talk a little about kuzma really quick next because we saw kuzma and tht kind of going your turn my turn for most of these first two games uh in their minutes together at least I thought Kuzma was much, much better in that second game. I don't think he was bad per se in the first game, but I think we saw him fall into the tendency of old Kyle Kuzma forcing shots, over dribbling, um, you know, being a little bit reckless with the ball. And he had some turnovers in the second game too, Tim. But what did you see from that second game that uh, from Kyle Kuzma? I think we saw a change in his mentality and usage. In that first game, he was seeking his own offense a bit more. We saw him run a bit more with handoffs and ball screens, and he struggled in those. And last season, he did those more than he ideally should, given his skill set, given how effective and efficient he is at those. And over the two games so far, he's had two points in 10 possessions, either as a pick-and-roll ball handler or handoff guy. And again, efficiency doesn't matter It's for, for these preseason games. It's not a, a big deal, but this is an ongoing trend with him. The second game, we saw him slide more into a finisher role rather than trying to create. And that's something that I think much, much better fits his skill set. I think it's it'll fit when everybody's playing, what role is he asked to do? Last season, he needed to do more self-creation. This year, we have Harrell, we have Schroeder. We have guys that can get their own shot or run an offense. So he doesn't need to try to make things happen. And and I mean, we've talked about this. We've talked about this on other streams, other pods. He's he was lights out as a spot up shooter, as an off screen shooter, as a cutter. These are things he 
will have all the opportunity in the world to fall into and and perform well and he should perform well and we should see his shot quality go go up a ton and his efficiency go way up and he'll look like a much more valuable player he just has to understand that's where he'll succeed the most and not try to do too much and i think for the most part in that game too we saw it towards the end of the game he started to try to do a little bit more uh but we saw the volume for him in that second game but the the type of volume was just slightly different and more into his favor and I was just so impressed at how quickly and, de- and decisively he was making some of those passes and there were the right passes. You know, he would curl around a screen and in the past he would either just try to pull up and rise over a guy and take that mid range shot. That's, you know, not a great shot. And he usually has somebody on the weak side or, you know, the skit passes open and he's hasn't seen it before. The last game, we saw him rifling passes to the corner to Dudley a couple times, and they kept the advantage by swinging the ball and attacking more closeouts. And it all started with a Kuzma pass, which is not exactly <laughs> something you saw a lot last season. And yeah, he probably didn't have a lot of opportunities, but when he's decisive and says, okay, I'm either going to catch this ball and shoot, or I'm going to catch this ball, maybe take a dribble and pass, that quick, decisive. I don't think it's actually that he's bad at dribbling. I think that it's he gets set in. Now I go to work and go one on one when I'm dribbling. You know what I mean? I'm going to put my head down and then, oh, it's if I just get my shoulder past this guy, then I'll pass. You know, he's he's overthinking too far ahead instead of letting the game come to him. And it it seemed like he was a lot more uh, taking what the defense gave him this last game. Yeah, it's like in football, if if you're a quarterback, you can make your pre-snap read, see where everybody's aligned, and be like, okay, that guy might be open. I think he's going to mm-hmm. be open. But then if you don't look at where the safeties go or what the linebackers do after the snap, you may make the wrong decision a lot of times. Yeah. And that's kind of like Kuzma Hill. It's great get count. it right sometimes, but you yeah. have to continue seeing the floor. You can't get tunnel vision. You can't say, all right, it's Kuzma time. And l- let the defense play into that and and you know, make life more difficult for you and you make life more difficult for yourself when you're taking shots off the dribble in isolation as he has done in the past. So it, it's a willingness. He's going to have plenty of opportunity. If we see Kuzma buy into the role he had in that second game consistently, he's going to have a really, really good year. And he's going to be a guy that we are happy to have back for future seasons. This team is fucking deep man it's crazy because i thought i was also really impressed with kuzma on defense he matched up with Kawhi a few times was able to you know jab at him kind of force him to make decisions out of his comfort zone take longer contested shoot shots um he got beat a couple times but you know that good bubble defense coups seems to have carried over now into the first couple preseason games so that was promising um why don't we move on to why don't we move on to Harrell? Because he's a guy we saw in both games, Tim. And a little mixed bag from Harrell in the first game as well. He was unhappy, said thought he missed uh, some some easy shots on social media, he mentioned, but I thought that he was really active and provided just an effort and energy level of offensive rebounding and and throwing his body around and quick foot speed, you know, kind of doing all the different ball cover screen coverages. And yeah, what did you think about Harold in those first two games, Tim? I was impressed with his defense in both games from a performance standpoint and then also how the Lakers used him. It became evident that 
he is much more capable of a defender than the Clippers allowed him to be last year. And we saw LA use him with, he ran a bunch of different types of screen coverages. He was dropping, he was showing harder at the ball. He switched a few times. And when he did switch, he looked good. And when he was dropping, he used good technique. He didn't just stand under the rim the whole time. He was up towards the level of the ball, just below it, and then backed up as he needed to, to stay behind the roll man or or level with the roll man to not give up the lob. But he, he just the technique which was much better and then on several occasions we saw him be uh in positions where he was showing a, a soft hedge or that catch hedge we've talked about where he was you know up closer to the ball but then recovered to his man and showed that quickness so I was really thrilled with what we saw in that regard it was really encouraging because he seems like he can do it the Lakers recognize he can do it they're going to use it that's going to be really valuable he rotated really well. He was taking charges. I think he tried to take four charges between the two games. I think he was only like one for four, but uh, he he was doing really smart, making really smart basketball plays, blocking shots, altering shots. There were times guys didn't take shots because he was there. Uh, we saw him be a really valuable piece alongside Mark Gasol at times in that second game where if it was Gasol and Keefe or Gasol and Kuzma, that second man backside help backline defender wasn't quite able to cover like a lob as well as when Harold was that dude dude crashing down able to play passing lanes or uh break up a lob or contest a shot or, or box somebody out um we saw the boxing out from him so I was really pleased with the defensive end offensively we saw him be really quick and speedy his posting up frequency was down from what it was last season which was interesting when he did post up, we saw the quickness, we saw the force, all that stuff we talked about on the stream when we broke down what his style is, what he likes to do. Mm-hmm. I am not the most thrilled with some of like the just catch and shoot mid range shots he took, where the defense like was like, "Hey, go ahead, take that. We're gonna stand under the rim." Uh, some of those I would prefer if he like turned into a dribble handoff and took advantage of the fact that his man was out of position to defend a ball screen or a dribble handoff. So slight criticism there. I think you can make more of offensive possessions than kick it out to Harrell standing half a foot in front of the three-point line. Uh, but that was good. In the second game, I think we saw him. He was deeper than that. He was deeper than that. Uh, we did see him hit he a three. He was deeper so than that. Was, that. that he, was was de- he made an insane three. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. He didn't make a it single was... three last year, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it, if that's a real thing, which I wouldn't bank on, but if it is a real thing, that would be quite a development as well. Um, we saw him as a good role man. I think in the second game, a little bit less. Because LeBron didn't play any of the game, but Schroeder didn't play in that second game. And uh, one thing he struggled with in game one that he got much better with in game two was his screening on ball and off ball. He was slipping too early in that first game. He wasn't making contact. And because of that, we saw a few times where live it looked like Dennis Schroeder was just turning shots down. But then on the Mm -hmm. film, it was like, oh, crap, there was a dude right on his hip would have blocked those shots if he took them because Mm -hmm. Harold didn't make any contact. So part of that's on Schroeder. A lot of it when you dig into the film, was actually on Harrell. Uh, and he cleaned it up for the second game. Credit to him. He got much better. It made the ball screens much more effective. Credit to Schroeder and THT for being patient and having him reset screens when he wasn't doing it quite the way you'd want. Um, but he got much better. And I also liked how his presence on the court changed the style of offense the Lakers ran, where suddenly it was still almost five out, where he was operating as a dribble handoff guy in a way that still, it gives him extra gravity. It means his defender has to pay more attention to him and be closer to him and not stand in front of the rim because of the threat of him dribbling towards a guard or a wing, pitching them the ball and suddenly becoming a ball screener. 
Yeah, I think we're still figuring out how to really use him well in the pick and roll. Um, he just explodes out of the roll sometimes, and he's he he gets to the acceleration point so quickly that I don't know if I think Quinn Cook hit him on a nice pocket pass, but the pocket pass has been there, you know, in, in both games, and we just haven't been able to kind of open it up for him. Although he's been able to get a lot of putbacks and easy dunks, you know, which is kind of part of what kept him in this league, at least early in his career was he's a great clean up the garbage man. And Mm -hmm. I think that will increase from his time with the Clippers to where the Clippers. Yeah. Like you said, they posted him up a lot. I think we will do that some, but I think we realize also that there's other ways to get a better looking bucket for this team and for him, especially, So, you know, cleaning up um, and getting better in the pick and roll. He's almost exactly the player I think we saw in the film. I think slightly maybe better on defense, to your point, with the ability to execute different ball screen coverages. And we saw him get beat on defense over the top with a lob to Zubats. And he got beat on the defensive glass as well he just did there was a shift there where Zubach um you know put him under the basket a couple times on the defensive rebounding front and got fouled or got the rebound and got a put back you know and these lineups probably aren't exactly what we will be running in the regular season with everyone out and and ad and lebron sitting but you know there's still like for better or worse i guess tim he is almost exactly the player i thought he was and the Lakers are going to try, I think, and use him in those like most advantageous ways. And he's going to get a lot of putbacks and, and lob dunks once he gets eventually with AD and LeBron. So I'm yeah. I'm optimistic about him. I agree. And he's I mean, he hasn't really changed as a player from like a skill mm-hmm. standpoint. He's he's who we, who we thought he was. It's just yeah. been the usage defensively that's different. The usage offensively that I think is tweaked in a good way. Uh, and then obviously the lineups he's been in haven't been the most advantageous for him. You want to see him play with LeBron, play with Schroeder, have those guys that will break the defense down uh, in, in in ball screens and be able to throw those lobs or, or get that pocket pass. Quinn Cook's one read out of the ball screen is that pocket yeah. pass. So yeah, uh, the couple exactly. times the Clippers gave that up, it worked. Or the pull-up. Or the pull-up. <laughs> yep, one or the other. Uh, it's really nothing else. It really is. Right. It's, Yeah. We don't. We won't spend much time on him, but he had a rough game that second game. I uh, one last thing with Harold that did stand out to me that was a change from last season with McGee hmm. with Howard. When ever defenses were trying to give extra attention to LeBron or the AD or anyone, and they had to shift over and they were zoning up weak side, and one of those guys was in the dunker spot, you could feel confidence at all times that like, yeah, if they were to throw the lob right now, that's going in. Yeah. Harold isn't that same standing dunk kind of guy. He needs a little bit yeah. of a runway. And there were, I, I, I noticed it on film where it was just like, he's in the dunker spot, but he's not open, even though where right. he is and where the defenders are isn't any different than it was last year. So in that way, he's a different kind of dump off sort of dude. He only had two dump offs the entire two games, or I'm sorry, he only had one. He had one dump off in two games, which is crazy low and it'll get better when the Lakers are playing the real rotation. But I think there's a good chance we see a substantial decrease in the volume of dump offs he gets relative to what like JaVale and Dwight got last year just because he's a smaller dude he's less of a lob threat just an instant lob threat um he needs to be more rolling into that and 
he he didn't hit any of his his dump offs or cuts uh, over those past two games either. So we'll, we'll yeah. monitor that. That could be a step back, but he provides other things in a, a way that's a step forward. No, it's a great note. And I almost wonder if you'd rather just actually shoot it and have the rebound slash, you know, put back be his dump off because then yeah. I think he's a little bit better at, at, at jumping quickly and beating the defender before they know he's a threat. You know what I mean? So obviously you have the player go to the lane, getting ready to shoot. And if that help comes over, that's usually when you dump it off to the dunker spot is what you're describing. And Dwight Howard is going to rise up and either get a foul or he's going to dunk on you. And same with JaVale yep. McGee, just with the length alone. They're not the highest yeah. leapers they'll anymore, they'll but they're big. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If and now a, that's the size difference. Yeah. Yep. You can have a two guard standing in front of Dwight Howard and you just throw it over that guy's head. And, and Dwight's able to just jump instantly and, and put that down. Harold's not that same guy. If you get into his body at all or you're in the way, mm-hmm. you, that's gonna that's not going to work as well. And I think we also saw, we saw, I think, four missed lobs or lobs where, like, he didn't quite jump. One of them he did jump a little late and got the, he didn't quite loop it, lob. but the layup, the layup yeah. yeah. Uh, as that chemistry increases, we'll see that look a little bit better as well because these guys, he's still new playing with these other players. So give it some time. Give it some time with LeBron, too, because mm-hmm. he hasn't played with him in a game. Uh, hopefully that develops, but that's something I'd love to monitor as the season goes through. All right. Now, this next guy, Tim, I want to jump a lo- around a little bit because this guy started the last game and some of the other newbies did not. But holy Mark Gasol, another guy doing exactly what we thought he would do, quarterbacking an offense, throwing touchdowns over the top in that little you know, drop basket of the receiver and KCP or THT or cutting to the lane for a wide open layup. It was beautiful basketball to watch. And we, I remarked on the stream that it reminded me of, of the Toronto Raptors and how they ran Fred Van Vliet or Kyle Lowry or OG Ananobi off of these like rubs with um, Mark Gasol, you know, playing quarterback and directing guys hitting Dudes in the corner after getting doubled in the post. It was it was beautiful to watch, man. I'm so excited to see him with with the full squad. Agreed. And we mentioned this on the stream last night. I think the four guys I was most excited to see that passing with were LeBron, AD, Wes Matthews, and Alex Crusoe. We haven't seen him play <laughs> with any played, of those guys yet, yeah, yeah. but he's made everybody else look great. He like Der- yeah. Jared Dudley's cutting hard. Like Marky everyone's is a cutter and getting the ball. It, yeah, everyone's also, a cutter. It's it's nuts. The the precision, the willingness, the vision is just fantastic. We also saw him operate from like the high post. We saw the Lakers run five out offense for like <laughs> the first time in forever. I know uh, it's beautiful. Which opened up those cutting lanes even more. So him and Keith was an interesting front court combo. Him with AD should bring similar things and able to, in terms of being able to open that spacing up. Um, so that was really nice. We saw him operate from the low post a couple times, not, not as much plan, but if he got a switch, he was able to just go back someone down and score. Or we saw a couple times a double team came in. He was like throwing skip passes, bounce pass, skip passes, bounce just skip passes on yes. time, on target in the shooter pocket, uh, it, it wasn't like, like there were a couple of THT kickouts where it was like low. So you didn't quite, it wasn't quite a flawless play. Or one time he threw it at Kuzma's feet and there was a turnover. Marcus saw when he was kicking it out, it was exactly where it needed to be. So he is already just fantastic at those sorts of reads and passes. And again, it's, it's what we talked about. We, we knew this coming in, but just seeing it is fantastic. And just seeing how it transforms the guys around him 
is really nice because what this means is moving forward, we can have lineups that don't have LeBron or AD out there. But if Gasol's quarterback in the offense, even if you don't have a true point guard, which the Lakers often may not, you're fine offensively. And you can play a different style of offense. So that was really encouraging. I think he and Harrell had a, I want to give Harrell more credit because he had some nice passes to cutters as well and nice handoff actions. But both of them, add something in a playmaking sense as big men in specific ways, not everywhere, but as in specific ways to them that really help transform this offense. And I think that it's, it's particularly unique how he is aggressive with some of these passes. Like I think there's some of these passes that I think LeBron won't make, he could make them. He's just not inclined to be as loose with the ball. And, and Mark is just so good at like dropping it over the top. You know, you see LeBron do this every once in a while, but Mark has just made a career out of this stuff. And, and he can, and he can pull up in the mid range too. And, and hit that little fadeaway over you, you know, probably. Yeah, he could probably prefer him taking that to, uh, you know, some of these rub actions. But, um, right, you know, I, I'm just so so pleasantly uh, surprised and how many how many Lakers got supercharged by his passing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if you want to move on, Tim, quickly. His defense did again show some issues at the rim. He fouled a often. He, uh, his foot speed's slow. So he got beat, you know, on a closeout. There's still some issues there that you, you'd like to see what he looks like next to an Anthony Davis to help some of those out. But there are some things to be concerned with, uh, at least on that end for me. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and the last thing with his passing is he makes all those aggressive, ambitious passes. And yet year after year in our database at people index is 97th, 99th, 98th percentile passing efficiency. So he's, he wow. does it. He's willing and able and like doesn't turn the ball over, which is nuts and just yeah. like unheard of for guys making those sorts of passes to the defense. We saw how vulnerable he is. He's not bad. He's good at what he's good at. But if he has to go beyond that, you you see where it doesn't work. And you can try to keep him in the box of what he can do through the lineups, which we saw some of, but not a lot of. When he's with AD or when he's with Harrell, those are guys that I think as the help perimeter bigs can fly in and help help him out in those situ- situations. It didn't help him. It didn't help anybody that there were a lot of missed backside rotations by Quinn Cook. Um, there, we, we saw the bad. We saw what could happen if you don't support him the right way. And we then saw Frank Vogel realize that he was less mobile and that the Clippers were trying to target him on the perimeter by going to that 2-3 zone that we saw in garbage mm-hmm. time of, of preseason game one. But this time, Gasol was in the middle. Then he the space he had to cover wasn't 20 feet. It was like five feet. So he mm-hmm. was able to be only do what he's good at doing and not have to do things he's not good at doing. And then you have Harrell out there, or it was specifically with Markeith Morris and Kyle Kuzma because they can't quite have his back like Harrell does in man defense. But those guys can all fly around. That's also great for THT because of his wingspan. He got several steals and we got runouts off of that. It, it was a schematic defensive move that was able to overcome the limitations that Gasol has, match the personnel really well. And for that reason, I think we may be seeing more of moving forward. So there are ways to cover up for what he can't do if teams are able, like if you're running a bunch of like harder aggressive screen coverages or ask him to switch, it's going to look bad. Or if you don't have another front court partner with him that can defend the rim at all, it's going to look bad. Uh, 
and we saw a little bit of that, but I think there are enough ways the Lakers can cover up for it that in the regular season, it should be fine. In the playoffs, you just may need to bench him for series like we saw with JaVale and Dwight last year. Yeah, and the zone looked pretty good at times. It's it's hard to say exactly whether or not that was the, you know, Clippers second unit, whether it's them playing guys like, you know, Terrence Mann and and mm-hmm. Kai Bowman and other players who might not be in the rotation. But they, they weren't, couldn't really they get the ball. They haven't installed into the any middle. zone offense plays. Like they sure. weren't ready for that. Sure. But yeah, they kept the ball on the outside. Uh, you know, it the zone did its job, at least in you know, some some guys, I think Marquis fell asleep a couple times on the wing. But, you know, it it looked good. And it's nice to see them seeding that now. And it makes me think that it will be at least a significant uh, change up for that Lakers defense going into the season that we'll see on a semi-regular basis going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, we, we got the full Marcus All experience, the good and the bad. We, right. We've seen the same with Harrell. We've gotten a little bit of that with Schroeder. Wes Matthews has been less in the spotlight, uh, but we've seen what he's able to add. So the, those four new guys are really exciting, and yet the the story of that second game was THT. It's like the Lakers just added another lottery pick who's like ready to come in and just kick some butt. So really, really exciting from an individual performance standpoint over those two games. Yeah, and now I guess we can turn a little bit to Schroeder and Matthews. It's, you know, they didn't play a ton, in those first game, in that first game, but we did see a little bit of Schroeder, and who to me just kind of looked like he was a guy that was trying to do a little too much, you know. Um, I like the point that you made about the Harold screening being a little bit subpar and, and hindering Schroeder in that aspect of the pick and roll, but he made just miscommunication turnovers on a regular basis. I think he finished with six turnovers. But, you know, we saw some of the speed, the quick first step ability. He got to the rim in an impressive way that literally no one else on the Lakers team can do, you know, without a ball screen. He would take guys in the corner, off the dribble, get to the rim and finish. And you can see some of the issues finishing there in that first game. Uh, What was your takeaway from watching Schroeder in purple and gold, Tim? Yeah, I think we did see the good, like you talked about. We saw the chem- it, what you could write off as chemistry issues, but in reality, he's he's a guy that, as a playmaker, he'll get guys the ball in positions to succeed on high volume, but he's also going to turn the ball over quite a bit with with bad pass turnovers. We saw, I think, three of his turnovers in that first game were just bad pass turnovers. Some of them were just like, they truly were just bad reads or yeah. bad accuracy. Yes. Uh, last season... His passing efficiency, one of our B-ball index metrics that looks at those bad pass turnovers specifically, because not every turnover is a passing turnover, but it looked mm-hmm. at his passing turnovers and then how long he was holding onto the ball relative to what he was creating with it. And he was in the first percentile, meaning he was lower than 99% of guys. So he was not, that was the one passing metric that he did not look good in at all. Um, and we saw, I, I think what some might say was just preseason might be more of a sign to come with him. There will be some good. There was, there's going to be that specific type of bad, uh, the ball screens. I want to give him a pass on just with that first game due to Harold's screen setting. I'd love to see him play with AD. I'd love to see him play with more with Harold, with Harold doing a little bit better credit to Schroeder for not forcing too much. Cause there were some, he could have tried to force that. He realized the guy was right on his hip and he had to kick it out instead. Uh, he was really good as a spot-up shooter. Um, that was his second most frequent 
play type. He had four of those, scored eight points on him. So he was knocking down shots off ball. We didn't see a whole lot in terms of how he could be used in set plays off ball, which is still something I'm really interested in seeing because that'll tell us a lot about how he'll fit with that starting unit along with LeBron and AD. So I want to see more schematically with that. We haven't gotten the right lineups to tell us a whole lot about it, but that's still a question mark. I think the ball screens will be fine. He's able to get to the rim. He's able to get to his shots, those mid-range pull-up twos if he wants them in ball screens. And like you said, the, the just the isolation ability was really impressive. He, like I had spoken about before, he did a really good job finishing at the rim when he was isolating against guards or some wings. Against bigs, he struggled a little bit more. It was the, he's smaller, he's kind of going around the rim, uh, and we saw a little bit of that. But tiny sample, we'll see what it looks like moving forward. But just another another thing to monitor that he's been in the past. We'll see if that can improve this season. And I'd love to see how he looks in that five-out spacing with Gasol, having mm-hmm. more driving lanes to be able to take advantage of. Take it. What about him on defense? Because he... He looked a little bit as advertised for me and maybe even a little worse. So I'm starting to get a little more concerned, at least on that end of, and maybe it's a communication thing, you know, learning the scheme. But there are times where I thought he would do a little bit different of a defensive coverage. Like he would weak and Harold wasn't ready for it. I don't know, watch the film a little bit more, but he did look a little bit more active and engaged than some of the you know, film I've seen with him on OKC, he can fall asleep a little bit. What did you see from him on defense, Tim? Yeah, the the off ball, he can miss rotations here and there. He is a little bit weaker defending, like guys cutting or shooting off of screens. Point of attack defense, I think, was good. We saw a weaker matchup for him in terms of like if he's going up against Harold or Paul George, like that's not great for him. But there aren't too many teams that have those two types of guys to attack him with. Uh, definitely don't want him in like a wing stopper type of role. As you mentioned in the ball screens, it was hit or miss. Communication appeared to be the issue. And he wasn't like too much of like he wasn't involved in enough where it was like, oh, he's the commonality of all of these. I think yeah. it was just some general miscommunication. And generally in those situations, you want the big man calling out what the read is, what the, the guard should be doing. So hopefully that improves over time. We'll we'll give him a pass for now. I don't know. I, I, I was OK with it. It's not of the teams he could be playing. For his matchup, guarding Patrick Beverly is one of the easier point guard matchups he's going to get in the West. So there wasn't a ton that we could learn from him. And I think it's still a little bit early. He's certainly not like some dominant defender. I don't think he's the weakest either. He's somewhere in in between. And I I just I want to see more film from him on that. I think somewhere in between is exactly what the Lakers are looking for. So, you know, put a pin in that. We'll be keeping an eye on that going forward this year. And then the last real major addition here, Tim, we saw in the first game was Wesley Matthews. And yeah, the first play of the Lakers 2020 preseason, first bucket of the year, Wesley Matthews catching the ball, you know, off of a screen, hitting a little mid-ranger in stride, quick shot. Nice square jump shot. You saw a lot from that. Like that's 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 promising to me. I'd like to see that. He can offer a little bit more in that department than Danny Green did. Yeah, I think so. And I'm glad the Lakers were willing to use him in those situations. That's somewhere that the Bucks just in general run fewer of those, but he still commanded a high percentage of when they did actually do it. So he's he's been that guy in Dallas. He did it a little in Milwaukee just on lower volume. If we can keep using him there, I think he's he has the IQ for it. He can shoot off motion in those scenarios. So 
that's a good fit with him that adds a dynamic that we didn't get as much of with Danny Green. I think he's still a, a weak driver, and we saw that a bit. He was the only guy that ran that tight pin-down play that didn't seem fully comfortable with it. He he was better in the off-screen situations where it was designed for him to take a jump shot. So the types of ways we use him in those I think will matter. Uh, but I just I was really impressed on one play. His man went to help in the paint. And instead of just kind of like moving from the wing to the corner or moving mm-hmm. a couple feet up towards the top of the key, he sprinted from wing to wing, like across the court, got himself wide open because that's not a normal rotation you make. Uh, right. It's not like, all right, I'm going to help into the lane and then recover, you know, to the other side of the court. Uh, he caught the defense off guard, really high IQ, got an open shot. I was pleased with that. I think we have a lot more we can see from him when we see him play with Gasol, when we see him play with LeBron and AD as a cutter, we just didn't quite have the opportunity to to see that, but he was good. He, I, I want to see more. I want to see how that develops over time and what his usage, usage looks like, but he's a fine guy you can plug in with a ton of different lineups that offensively can just be, be a floor spacer and hit, knock down some shots. Yeah. We didn't see too much of him. You know, I, I cracked uh, during the stream that we would probably see him take the fewest shots of any starter in that starting lineup. And that ended up being the case, but what you see with him that is so promising and you want to see next to LeBron is yeah, that relocation. We went over some film with him and Giannis and how he was just so smart and active as an off ball uh, offensive player, you know, relocating for LeBron, even if it's a subtle, I'm, you know, going to drag to my left to open up this passing lane uh, for the skip pass. LeBron sees it and Mark Gasol sees it. So we haven't seen those two or those that that three grouping play together yet. But another guy who's going to give Mark Gasol an opportunity to show his his passing skills and get guys open and another guy to help LeBron you know, slide into those open threes and, and he's got a quick release. Like, so that's, that's even better. Danny green sometimes can, can, you know, mount up on his threes and take a little bit long. So I think Wes Matthews has a nice sharp, quick release. And and the fact he can shoot off ball screens too is, is super helpful. Yep. Yeah, speaking of Danny Green, that like three that he missed in the playoffs that got he got a bunch of crap for. That was a play that it looked wide open. By the time he actually shot the ball, it wasn't wide open anymore just because he can take a little bit longer. That's a shot that Wes Matthews in the same situation. He catches it open and he's going to shoot it wide open just because he has a, that yeah. quicker release. So that just in one micro situation just can show you how it can be beneficial to have a quicker release. It If you create an advantage on the defense and you collapse them and you kick it out, the advantage will still be there. You're not going to have a guy that's shooting slower and, you know, you work so hard to be able to break down the defense just to have a guy like let them come right back. So uh, he'll be an upgrade in that respect and uh, can't wait to see a little bit more of how he looks within more normal rotations. All right, man. Well, that's kind of us going through individual players here. I feel like uh, we're going to try and stream for at least Pre-game, maybe first half of the game here tomorrow on Wednesday. But maybe we try and do some of this scheme with some film 
footage. Uh, so, and I'm just going to open up the floor to you right now, Tim, is to go into something, anything you want to go into, whether it's chemistry, uh, some of the defensive fundamentals, some of this offense or defensive scheme, whatever you want, dive in my friend. Sure. So yeah, we'll, we'll go into the more of the X's and O's tomorrow with, we can pull the diagram up, get, get basically a whiteboard going, have some of the film. Cool. I will just say at a high level that I'm really pleased with what we've seen. We've seen very, we've seen varied types of offense from this team that in every situation matches the personnel. It's not, this is our style of offense and certain lineups just aren't going to match it. It's been different lineups using different sets that match what they're good at. And I think that's really smart. You can tell it's intentional. We've developed more well executed sets to this point through two preseason games than we are used to seeing from previous Laker coaching staffs that generally took longer to develop those offensive wow. playbooks. So it's been, unless it's I been disagree, I, that's a big statement from you. I, I'm not sure people really appreciate that. I want to put that in context. That's a big statement from you, Tim. I'm usually complaining right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this year I'm not complaining. Uh, the volumes there, the executions there, the players are making the right reads. The team is asking them to make simpler reads with some of the, the play diagramming. And we showed that on the last screen. I, I tweeted a video out with that tight pin down series and how that's a great form of offense that keeps the read simple. Tune in tomorrow for the stream. It, it's not going to become a podcast, so you want to show up live and I'll break down some of those specific things that the team is doing and how that matches the personnel, keeps things simple. So th- the sets are good. The early offense is good. It can be better. The freelance offense, the what are guys doing when we're posting up or isolating and running a ball screen just off ball, that has area to improve. And I would love to see more there. We've seen a little bit. I want to see more. Defensively, uh, we've learned a lot in terms of what our baseball screen coverages are going to be. For Gasol, he's going to drop. Harrell, Kaycock, Kostas, who's not probably not, not going to play in real games, same with Kaycock. They were more soft hedge, catch hedge types of guys. Uh, but we also saw Harold be able to do pretty much anything. And Morris actually was doing a lot of different things. You don't want him dropping, but he's switchy. He can play those more aggressive screen coverages. And something I liked that the Lakers went to a few times where when Morris was involved with ball screens, and we'll show film on this tomorrow, they almost started trapping guys as they were driving and forcing those offensive players to have to pass like over their head, which is really mm-hmm. hard to do. We gave Kawhi one of those situations and he couldn't do it. And we, and KCP got a run out on the other end. So using Morris's both size and mobility to just really wall up on that guy who already has picked their dribble up and make them have to make a really tough on the fly pass is another great way to turn defense into offense in a great way, great smart way to use him and recognize that what I'm giving up is really hard to take unless you're super prepared for it. So that was nice. We saw the two, three zone. We talked about how that matches what the, the team's uh, personnel might look like specifically with Gasol. And then on one or two occasions, and I want to dig more into this, I believe we saw the team start a playoff in zone and then mid-possession, the defensive scheme turned into man-to-man, which I love <laughs> when I'm coaching. I love doing that stuff because it's so disorienting. The offensive team, if there's a shot clock, you just have to like reset and get everybody on the same page and then attack in the right ways because otherwise you can just throw passes to guys that are standing there uh on the defense that otherwise if you were still in zone wouldn't be there so it's super disorienting it's going to cause a lot of turnovers it's going to get the Lakers easy offense I don't know if it was just a play that looked that way or if it was a real thing but if that is 
something the Lakers do this regular season that is going to be really, really effective as long as the defense is on the same page. So it's it's the type of thing that you can either call it out, which lets the offense know you're doing it, but what I would prefer to do is the alignment for a 2-3 zone, the alignment for a 3-2 zone, and the alignment for man-to-man are all the same when the ball's in the corner. So you can run a defense where as soon as the ball goes to the corner, we're going to switch, and you have to have high IQ guys, which, hey, the Lakers have a lot of. That would enable you to do something like that. So ball in the corner, or there have been teams in the past that, like, we're going to line up man-to-man, but if the ball gets passed to the left side, we're going to run 2-3 zone. If the ball gets passed to the right side, we're still man-to-man. And just let just little things that the offense isn't going to recognize until it's too late to trigger you and, and let you know exactly what to do. So maybe a really, really interesting development I'm going to talk a lot about because I love, or it might just be a blip on the radar. A miscommunication. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hopefully yeah. it's, it's and Vogel's a talented defensive coach. So I want to lean toward giving him the benefit of the doubt here, but you know, those basic principles of, yeah, once the ball hits the corner, that's an easy, you know, everyone's engaged. They see, okay, now man up with the nearest guy on your side. Yep. Right. So, and, and that kind of helps everyone stay on the same page and it, at the worst you can call it out. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be a chess move. There, there are not teams doing this. I have not seen an NBA team do this with any consistency since I have begun watching basketball. This would be a complete game changer. This would be, like, I don't want to overstate it, and I think I am, but sure, it is so sure. hard to deal with. In a 24-second shot clock, you, you may not even start attacking the defense until there's 12 seconds left, and then if you waste six seconds attacking a 3-2 zone that's not actually there, you're screwed. So it would be an absolute game changer. And the Lakers have the right personnel in theory to execute it. And then the ball's in the corner too, right? Maybe the most vulnerable place to have the ball if you're an offensive team. Yeah, because you have literally two boundaries on either side of you. And and the thing is, because it's going to look the same in all of those different looks, not not only is it easy to switch the defense, but from the offense's perspective, if the ball is in the corner, visually it's it's not you're not seeing anybody move around it doesn't right you don't know it's different until it's it's already different and you're trying to do the wrong thing so in that sense it's it's really brilliant and i'm really pissed that frank vogel is stealing my coaching techniques uh before i'm able to to use them and get credit for them so uh, screw you frank vogel i love it i want to see more of it uh and <laughs> i'm excited to see these next two games so, yeah, I mean, they, just kind of going over some of the chemistry stuff, we've gone over Gasol passing the cutters, even getting guys like Keith and Dudley to cut hard and expect the ball. You know, it's smart players know when to cut. You take it into consideration, not only your player, but the other player, the players across from you. Is there going to be a lane? Can I fake cut? And that's going to make him, you know, uh, dive and I'll get an open three and step back. So I want to see that expand even more the chemistry, the counters that you can run off of that. Um, we talked about the shooter, Harold pick and roll. We haven't seen it really come into its stride yet. Wasn't expecting it to be a world beater right away, but there's a lot of room for improvement there. And then, you know, the stuff we haven't seen, right? Anything with LeBron and AD, Gasol, shooter, Harold, we haven't seen this team at full strength yet. So a lot of this stuff is conjecture, right? And then finally, the THT, what does he look like in the higher caliber lineup where he's not the primary ball handler? All things to keep an eye on going forward, Tim. But 
this is a really fun first two games and it's really easy to see how we are going to be blessed with an even more beautiful brand of basketball this season than we were the last season that we won the title. Yeah, absolutely. And you've hit on all the, all the things I was, I was thinking of from a chemistry standpoint, we see some of it, some of it, there's more that we have yet to see. Alex Caruso is a guy that we haven't Hmm. really talked about because he hasn't been in the groupings that will make the most out of him. So that's a guy that, we, you don't want to forget about THT might be looking good because he's in all these great yeah. positions. We don't want to forget about Alex Caruso and what he can provide. So I expect to see more from him as preseason goes along. Um, and I also want to close out by mentioning that even though the Lakers beat the Clippers in both of these games, I am leaving the these two games with a higher view of the Clippers than I started for a couple mm. of reasons. We've seen Nick Batum be like a legit basketball player he he doesn't look like an old man he is not washed he looks good they're using him in the right ways Sergi Baca we've seen him be able to switch it's not him versus LeBron or it, we haven't seen as much like him versus Schroeder but they're using him in the right ways and he seems physically capable of being who that team needs him to be in the playoffs uh, and then from a coaching standpoint they've done such a better job at running sets that match their personnel sets that play off of each other that have great counters and if you go back and look the, at the film on Kawhi or Paul George isolating such a high percentage of those isolations are during at the same time as an off ball stagger screen or pin down or flash screen or something that draws that help defense away so suddenly for a team that has guys that can get to the rim but struggle to finish there, you're going to see much more open lanes because of the set plays that they're running. And just just if, if 70, 60% of your isolations are without help defense being able to come over because they're defending a staggered screen, that completely changes the way you're able to defend. So really smart coaching. I think they're on the way up because of Lou and Batum and Ibaka looking really good. Kennard, it was a little bit clunky. I think they'll figure better ways out to use him. But that's a team that's, I think it's going to be a legit challenge. In that first game, we saw him play like 20 dudes, 19, 18 players. So you don't want to think too much of that. In that second game, the Lakers were, I think it was a more impressive victory. Again, didn't matter. The Clippers were still trying stuff out. But once they fine-tune the approach that they have, and the approach is looking good, the intent looks really strong, that is going to be a team that makes more out of the talent that they have, whereas last season they underperformed in a big piece of it was coaching, and some of it was just a lack of being able to play the right type of playoff basketball, where this year they have Batum and Ibaka much more prepared to be those versatile pieces. So lots of respect for them. We're going to be clowning on them throughout the year, but I, it's, they're, they're looking like a real challenge. They got better. We got better. We started off ahead. Um, but it's not going to be a cakewalk to the title this year. It's looking like lots to consider there. And I think, I think I'm on the fence as far as where I'm going to land on the Clippers, because to your point, I think the top end of their roster did get better, but I think they got at least somewhat significantly weaker in their depth. And I think that could come back to bite them because yeah, to your point, Kennard didn't look very good. He looked like just another guy out there pulling up. You know, he did a little bit of playmaking, but he was really just kind of minimized in that game. You know, not really fluidly fitting in just yet. And we didn't see Marcus Morris. You know, I think they're going to miss Trez's scoring punch. Uh, Obviously, again, Ibaka does more and makes them a more versatile team. You saw how they played five out in that starting group with 
They're full guys. And the first couple of games, they're getting nice looks, the open looks. And it wasn't just poor defense from the Lakers. It was them creating great options and advantages. So I'm on the fence. I still think they need, I know you posted that they have a lot of great individual playmakers, but I don't think, you know, in your b-ball talent index grades or b-ball index talent grades, excuse me, that's a mouthful. So I, but to me, they don't have a really guys who set the table all the time. And Kawhi and Paul George can pass out of ISOs and make the right read, but they're not a guy who's going to set someone else up to succeed in an advantageous position. So I, I don't know. I just remain on the fence. I think they got better on the top end, but their depth that was lauded last year, they seem to have fallen off there. Mm-hmm. And I'll touch on the playmaking. So like you mentioned, our B-ball index talent grades have, I think, seven of their guys between an A and a B plus, which A's are the top 10% of players. A minus is the 80th to 90th percentile. B plus is like, I don't know. It's it's just below that. So it's not like it, having an A grade means you're a top five playmaker. They do not have any elite set the table consistently types of guys. They don't have a LeBron. They don't have right. a Luka. Right. They have a lot of guys that are good. And yeah. what it's going to take for us to really see that play out, because last year we didn't quite see it, which is why people reacted negatively to the tweet. Mm-hmm. What it's going to take to unlock that a bit and how they how that really works with what they're doing is those set plays that use that yeah. off-screen stuff, create those scoring opportunities, and then you have good playmakers who can make smart reads getting the ball to where it needs to go. And it lets them, because they have guys that are good passers, they don't need to, again, they're not set the table guys, but they're good enough passers that you can run Kawhi and Paul George off of screens and they'll find the right option. The ball doesn't need to be in the hands of their top players in order to create good offense. And that works well for them because Paul George is in many ways more of an off-ball player than many top players are. So I think it fits really well together. We're going to have to see it grow. The potential's there we're going to have to see it materialize. We have to see how that scheme develops. But at least what I see them trying to do is in theory, a much better way to take advantage of the the personnel that they have than what Doc Rivers and his staff did last year. So I agree with you. They have to, they still have to prove it. There's so much growth they need to make, but in theory, the right guys have what it takes physically. It looks like, and they're running a scheme that should really, really help what they're doing. Yeah, didn't expect to spend uh, 10 minutes here on the Clippers, but I <laughs> think it's an interesting question it's because, yeah, it looks like Ty Lu is going to be the guy to come in and help set the table for everyone else. And hopefully for them, that remains throughout the entire season. So I think that's a good place to stop for now, Tim. We're going to stream tomorrow. I think the game is at 6. I don't know. I got to look at this stuff before yep, I talk. We're going to try and go. All right, cool. So we'll try and stream, I'll say maybe 15 to 10, 10 to 15 minutes before the game, maybe do some film work. You know, the game usually starts 10 minutes after the actual game time. So we'll have about 20, 25 minutes, but yeah, follow us on twitch.tv slash Lakers exceptionalism pod. Follow us on Twitter and, uh, hit up Tim with a five-star review through Apple podcasts and we will get you in our discord. Ain't that right, Tim? That is right. And if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you're a Spotify listener, Stitcher, one of those, you can still probably go onto iTunes and and leave a review there. You can do that without needing an Apple device. Excellent. So we will catch you guys on the stream and hopefully a pod as well coming maybe next week. We'll, we'll figure it out. Lots coming soon. Talk to you guys next time.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.